Hello, everyone, and welcome to Life After the Military, a show completely focused on reversing the trend of veteran suicide, homelessness, and problematic transitions by helping veterans transition from military to civilian life and strengthening the mental fitness of our active duty military members, our veterans, and their families. Our show is powered by Pivotal Moments Media, an organization on a mission to strengthen mental fitness worldwide for all. Go check them out at pivotalmomentsmedia.com to learn more. And my name is Howie, and we are privileged to have Sam Dreyer and, uh, and John King from Microsoft with us here today. So welcome, uh, Sam and John. Uh, Sam served in the United States Army as a medical specialist for seven and one half years. And since his exit from the Army, Sam has worked in multiple information technology positions with CompUSA, IBM, YPro Technologies, and has spent the last nine years with Microsoft. He currently works as a senior customer success account manager. John served for over 20 years in the United States Army as a rotary wing pilot and aviator. And like Sam, John works currently works as a customer success account manager with Microsoft. Sam transitioned out of the Army in 1999, and John transitioned out in uh, the Army in, in 2017. But they both have varied, a varied set of experiences in the private sector since their transitions from the military. And we hope to capture a lot of those uh, lessons learned and experiences today. So Sam and John, we welcome you to Life After the Military. Thank you, Howie. Pleasure to be here. It's great to have you both here, too. You both served magnificently in, in the military for a combined 27-plus years of, of, of service. I'd love for you to share with our audience how you personally prepared for and executed your transition out of the military. What would you do differently based on what you know now if you had it to do it over again? Yeah, my transition was quite a bit different than John's. So when I went in, I did not expect to, to leave what I did. I ended up getting injured and was not able to continue on active duty and end up going to the reserves. But my wife had moved to Germany with me. I had volunteered to go active duty during the first Gulf War and got sent to Landstuhl instead of Iraq. We had pretty much picked up and moved everything and were planning on making a career out of it. And the injuries derailed that. So we ended up getting discharged and going back to the States with really not much to our name other than our clothes on our back. I did not really have a transition program at that time. I got out at a time when the job market was horrible and I couldn't find a job for five fifty an hour. And yeah, I had to actually fight to get an interview at CompUSA just to be a cashier. I got promoted seven times in two years became the youngest operations manager in CompUSA history at the time, went to work for corporate headquarters. And eventually CompUSA actually was the door to IT for me. I ended up self-training myself through an opportunity that I got to use some training vouchers and got my Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer certification back in 99. And I had to do it all manually. And that led to my IT career that started with IBM and continued on from there. So uh, quite a different experience uh, from what John had. I was really fortunate to, to have some opportunities open for me that wouldn't have been there if I didn't be in the right place at the right time kind of thing. Hey, Sam, was that a medical discharge or? So it was an honorable discharge. I didn't get ruled injured until later on by the VA, unfortunately. It was one of those uh, kind of deals where... I just wasn't able to do the physical fitness anymore and everything else. The VA was helpful to me and came in and, and allowed me to actually get the disability rating I deserve. I am a disabled veteran. That was a long journey too. How much actual time between when you were medically identified as you, have to, you had to get out to when you actually exited the military, how much time elapsed? It sounds like it was a pretty short time. 
Yeah, it really wasn't that long. At that time, they acted pretty quickly if you weren't able to pass the physical fitness test anymore. It wasn't found out until years later that I've actually had blown discs in my neck. And it was rough. Uh, it was a really rapid transition. We literally found out and only had a couple of months to prepare for transitioning out. I just cannot imagine someone who was not planning to get out and someone who wanted to stay in having to move out in 90 days or less. Because I listen, I had yeah. two plus years to prepare and, and it was still a challenging process. So I cannot yeah. imagine what you and your family must have gone through. You, overcome, you overcame some incredible adversity and and you made you made success out of it. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, hey, John, how about sharing uh, sharing your story? Mine's completely different than his. And one slight clarification to my military career: I did just over ten years in the Air Force, <laughs> where I was a secure communications operator on a seven forty seven out of off oh. Air Force Base. Oh, uh, fast forward a few years, the opportunity came up. A buddy of mine came home and said, hey, you ever thought about going to the Army and flying a helicopter? So I said, yeah, back in the day when I was first looking at joining the military, but I thought you had to have a degree. And he said, no, you, you don't have to. They'll pick you up. So I did some research and him and I both submitted our packets. I got declined the first time, got cycled back through, got picked up the second time. He actually got picked up the first time. Yeah. So that was a kick in the teeth like, crap, now what do I do? Is this really going to happen? And <laughs> Fast forward, got picked up, went to flight school, did the Rucker thing, transitioned out of there, went to the Black Hawk, and then from there got to Fort Campbell, did just over 10 years overall in the Army. About eight of it was spent at Campbell as a medevac pilot with the 101st. Oh, cool. Like I said, did three deployments to Afghanistan there. I was all over the country, got towards the end of my career, and they were looking at sending me to Fort Drum, New York. But the one perk was I was going to get to do IPC. So that's the instructor pilot course for learning to teach other pilots essentially at your unit. So I get down there, there's different models of Blackhawk. When I went down to the course, they had me in the alpha model course and you had to submit for a waiver and do some other things. And they're like, don't worry, we've never had anybody decline. It's not an issue. Did it pass the height weight, pass the emergency procedures and all the hard stuff. I passed just to get into the course. And about a weekend, getting ready to take our first <laughs> test and they tell us, hey, your waiver got declined, you're out of the course. So then, all right, what do you do now? Like, I'm not going to drum just to go to drum, and I'm already at 19 and a half years. So I talked to the branch, talked to some of the other individuals down there. They okayed me to switch to the mic course that started that following Monday. I would have continued on, done the IPC, got to drum, followed up four years there, retired out at Rucker, got a that job, that was my plan. The branch manager said, nope, we're not dual tracking anymore because I was already tracked safety as a warrant officer. And he said, you're still going to drum. So that ensued a battle because I'd always been told when it's time, it's time, you'll know. So there I am at Rucker on a Thursday morning getting told I'm not going to IPC. I'm still going to Fort Drum and, and I'm going to be stuck for another four years. That don't land well for somebody that's in 19 and a half years. There's a give and take. Especially a warrant point. officer, man. You don't have to take shit from anybody. Yeah. So, so I'm talking to Branch and he says, nope, we're not doing it. I said, that's fine. I'm retiring. And he said, oh, yeah, cool. You're not able to retire. You're at 19 and a half years. You're outside of your window, blah, blah, blah. What the gentleman didn't know is the individual who was his boss was actually my old former company commander who would be the one signing off on my retirement from the HR standpoint anyways. So me being a warrant, being stubborn, I said, all right, let's play this game. I said, I'm not the guy that's telling you I'm going to retire if you don't do this. 
I'm telling you, I'm flat. Even if you made it all right now, I'm still retiring. So get back to Campbell or driving back to Campbell. I get a call from my battalion commander, cussing me one side and down the other, telling me to turn my ass around. I'm not retiring and he'll make it right and he'll get me where I need to be. And at that point, I, I told him, I said, I'm done. I said, if I'm going to have to continue in a career like this, that I have to deal with these kind of people that don't see the bigger picture and understand you can take and make somebody happy and they'll be so much more productive in what you want them to do. Or you could be an asshole and they're going to leave. And that applies across every genre. That doesn't matter if you're digging a ditch or flying a helicopter. Leadership is leadership, right? Yeah. And taking care of your people is taking care of your people or not taking care of your people. Within probably three weeks, I had hand walked my retirement packet through, called the guy up and said, hey, the packet's about to hit. I just need to know if you're need to if you going to rescind my orders or not. And mind you, I'm supposed to be a drum in less than a month. And I'm still gambling on the fact I'm going to be able to retire. So I'm, I'm really pushing this hard. <laughs> still don't have a plan for retirement. I just, I'm dead set on retiring at that point. I learned about the MSSA program, the Microsoft Systems, and didn't know anything about IT, didn't know anything about Microsoft. I just knew that through my military career, anything I could add to my cap when it came time to retirement and make myself more valuable to employers, that's what I wanted to do. And I really didn't have a direction. And we had friends that were retiring out and landing in Huntsville and the cost of living's low. The money was supposed to be good. So why not? We'll give it a shot. So getting into the MSSA program, had to teach myself networking fundamentals to pass the exam. Because again, I didn't know anything about it. So I'm watching YouTube videos and all this just to get into the program. Show up the first day, I'm in shorts and flip-flops. Mind you, it's a professional career development course, but I had missed the orientation day because I was doing my Finney flight. and. Again, I'm lost in the IT world. And the way they structured it was the morning portion was the IT where you learn. For us, it was server and cloud administration. And then the afternoon portion was more focused on the resume writing, the interview prep, the mock interviews, things that you could actually tangibly use no matter what you went into beyond that course. Oh, fascinating. Wow. So I leveraged that side of it way more than I did the technical because I knew I could heavily leverage the resume writing, the interview prep, the networking skills that I learned through there. And I put those to use and ended up while I didn't get picked up with Microsoft because I was stuck on coming to Huntsville, I stayed in contact with my lead mentor. I landed with a small company in Huntsville. And when I say small, I was actually their first employee other than the owner and co-owner of the company. I was their first actual contractor to sit in a seat, hold a billet for them as a government contractor. Managed to help them grow that to about 23 employees at about the three-year mark with them. Still stayed in contact with Sam once, twice a year, just checking in, see how things were going with him, doing that. And he mentioned that he would have the opportunity to do an informational with his manager to get me in front of her. I took advantage of that. Then COVID happened and hiring freeze. And so I sit on ice for a year still doing my job, still progressing in the company that I work for, still trying to grow them, stayed in contact with them or with Sam. And then the informational checked in with the manager about once a month by email, just touching base. Hey, is there any changes, anything I can do, anything I can uh, learn that would help me when it does come time to potentially interview and everything like that. Fast forward, like I said, a year and finally get the call. Hey, if you're still interested, we'd love to have you in for an interview. And of course, I'm going to jump at that chance. It's Microsoft for Pete's sake. It's a phenomenal company. After Sam made the connection with the hiring manager, it was me reaching out to her and following up with her, just touching base. And then she reached out to me whenever the opportunity actually came up to 
to move forward. This is a huge learning point for the folks going through the transition process. And for that matter, folks who have already transitioned, who are not happy with what they're doing or looking for other opportunities. So the value of creating your network and building a trusted relationship, maybe there were three or four or five different opportunities that you had in front of you and you chose one of the five. But the value of maintaining that relationship with those other four companies and those other four personnel, you never know when something doesn't work out or you decide, hey, I actually want to do something else. Then you can go back to them and say, hey, look, I'm back in the market or I'm thinking about going back in the market. What do you have available? There's an interesting statistic here. Guys like us, we change jobs three or more times in the first 18 to 36 months when we exit the military because we find out that the job we selected, whether we took the first job offer we, we, that came to us and we were just panicking about, we, I got to have a Need job. Need that security. Yeah. Or you do something that you thought you wanted to do and find out <laughs> you don't want to do it. Or you go to the company and maybe you didn't do enough research and you find out you're in a bit, maybe a bit of a toxic environment. Keep those doors open. Yeah. So Obviously, with the networking piece, I had the opportunity. It was, believe it or not, it was a hard decision for me to come to, to leave the company I was with. Because again, I was their first employee. You build a bond. I was fully vested with them to make this thing successful and grow because that's my livelihood. So it wasn't as easy as, oh yeah, Microsoft, I'm taking it. I'm leaving a family, essentially, at that point. I still stay in contact with those individuals. I actually brought on one highlight to them real quick is they started a charity that is all employee-based. So all donations are from their employees and 100% goes back out uh, twice a year. I'm a big proponent for giving back and, and paying it forward when you can. So Microsoft has the giving program. I got SSI shares enrolled into the giving program. So now every dollar I donate, Microsoft matches. Every hour I donate, Microsoft donates a value to that. That's a way that employees for Microsoft can give back in small uh, proponents, but have big effects, bringing them on and being able to get them enrolled in the giving program so that my donations was matched and also open it up to every other Microsoft employee that might hear about it is huge. Big proponent for that and, and what that is and what it stands for. Uh, you know, you know it's, it's very important to build out, to deepen and broaden your network and build these trusted relationships and maintain them over time. Another thing I see happening with the, with transitioning veterans is they'll get very active on LinkedIn, which they should. It's a great networking nope. platform. Definitely. And they'll, they'll leverage all the things that LinkedIn can do for them to, to find a job. And then once they find their job, they back off and, 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 they, and now they're, they're good. The point here is you spent so much time, effort, and energy building out your profile, building out your network. I highly encourage you to continue to maintain and grow that network over time because you never know when you're going to need to leverage it for yourself or others can leverage you based on what nope. you have to offer them. It's really key to maintain that network and not burn bridges. One of the things that I always tell people that I'm mentoring is that you never know who you're going to work for or when you're going to need that person that you're working with. We learn from our experiences and, and we adapt and improvise and overcome like John has. When he got out and tried to go to Microsoft, but couldn't until three years later. So I think it's really key. 
Let's really dig into this, the MSSA, what the program is, how it can help transitioning veterans, whether they're taking on a position with Microsoft or not. Yeah, and it actually is a great program. It's the Microsoft Software and Systems Academy. It can be found on our Microsoft website under military affairs or aka.ms forward slash MSSA. And it's a great program. Originally, it started out being based at bases for the first 11 that I lead mentored for. They were at Fort Campbell, and that's where I met John. It's really evolved over time. And so originally, they were doing classes in the morning and then professional development stuff. And then we'd also have technical mentoring as well as professional development mentoring. And as that has evolved over time, things have uh, improved and gotten more uh, approachable for veterans and for those transitioning. So now we've actually instituted uh, time zone-based courses so that people around the world can join in wherever they're based. You don't have to be based at a base. With COVID, we've gone fully virtual and we're actually doing a pilot right now. John and I are part of a pilot. I'm leading a federal pilot where the candidates are specifically targeted for our federal government business in federal civilian DOD and Intel. And so that's a new thing that we've just started as well. Over its history, over 3,000 people have graduated. We have a very high graduation rate, over 95%. The people who actually graduate, over 98% of them are either employed or continuing their education going on and learning more at college. Over 91% are employed in technology. Even when they don't get hired at Microsoft, they're getting hired at partners and other companies and everything else. We do all the education now. We do all the mentoring and we bring in the vendors for the development side. And even though that's the case, we still approach it from an agnostic standpoint. We want people to get hired at Microsoft, but we want to enable them to get that career in IT, even if the opportunity is not there immediately at Microsoft, like it wasn't for John. John had to keep fighting and adapt, improvise and overcome. It's a really great, diverse hiring pool. And it really gives the veterans an opportunity because when they go through the program, not only are they learning skills, like John said, and so you're just never sure how that information is going to actually land later on and and help you out. But it gives them a leg up on everything because no matter what, they automatically get an interview with Microsoft in the course. And if they do well at the interview, they actually have the opportunity to, to get that fast track into a hiring loop and to see if they're able to get hired immediately you're still getting FaceTime and that opportunity and learning from the interview. So I think that's really key when veterans are going out there and looking to interview for jobs. Even if you don't get the interview or you don't think it's maybe the exact position that you're looking for, always take the opportunity to interview because it's always an opportunity to learn and build your network. In the past, it was almost everybody in the course was Army being based at Fort Campbell. You had a a couple of people who were contingent and and assigned and things like that, Air Force and Marines and uh, Navy occasionally. Now with the time zone based and even the federal pilot that we're doing, we actually have people from all the services that are joining and, and even some people who have already exited service who are taking taking the opportunity. It's a great program. We're really honored to be part of it. So it sounds like it's almost like your own little transition assistance program, right? So it's it's not just about getting trained and certified in the IT field and getting certifications, but it sounds like you're covering things that help someone actually transition, like maybe interview prep and resume writing, which I find fascinating, number one. Number two, is there a cost to be a part of this program as a veteran? 
It has. And that's when the reason I want to jump in here is because I think I get excited about the fact it no longer costs the service member any money. It's fully funded by Microsoft now. When I went through, I had to use my GI Bill to to be in the course and pay the college that was a partner with Microsoft as part of the program. But now since Microsoft's taken it wholeheartedly and doing the training themselves and doing all that themselves, it's completely free to the service member. They get to meet with us as their mentors who have vast uh, backgrounds, whether we're a military veteran, a sponsor that is just a military advocate, could just be uh, a spouse that works at Microsoft. These are all volunteers that give their time because they want to ensure that the people going through this course are successful. And like Sam mentioned, not just successful in Microsoft and coming to Microsoft. One of my passions with this is to ensure that we're not just getting people jobs whenever they're done with this program or any skill bridge program for that matter. My intent is for them to go into a career because like you said, Howie, we jump out and we're changing jobs 18, 36 months after we get out. And we're trying to figure it out and try and find our way. Ideally, if we do our job as mentors and we're able to provide guidance to these individuals, they will set themselves up for their next career so that they're not having to do jumps and, and, and hurdles to figure out where they want to be. Leverage that time in that program to figure that piece out. If you're in that program, no matter whether it's MSSA or skills program, you have time. Unlike Sam, who had 90 days, to do his transition. If you're in this program, you've done the legwork to get there, utilize that time as best you can to maximize it and take that time and understand that your military that you're in, that unit's gonna continue to operate. They're gonna continue to do their thing. They're gonna continue to suck you and get as much out of you as they possibly can until you're gone. But at a certain point as a service member transitioning and going into your next career, you have to take and make time for yourself. It's it's what it boils down to. And I don't care if you got 90 days or 900 days to figure it out. You have to take time for yourself. You have to dedicate that time to figure out what you want to do with your next steps. And for me, being 20 years in and retiring, it was like being 18 again. I could go anywhere. I could do anything. I could be anywhere in the world that I wanted to go. Granted, I had responsibilities with the family and stuff, but I, it's like being 18 again. So now the world's open. So I think that's part of what scares individuals, especially once you've done military service and you have that set rhythm, it's scary to get out and transition. So I know I sidelined that a little bit. And you're actually bringing up several points that I want to reinforce. A lot of people feel like they're 18 again and they're scared out of their freaking mind because all they've known is being in uniform and that's their identity, right? And what the hell am I going to do now? You chose to look at it as an opportunity to say, hey, I can do anything I want. And what a healthy way to look at it. I learned early on that my identity was just not my time in uniform. I'm a father. I I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a husband. I'm a hockey coach. There's a t I, I have a work community I'm part of. I have a religious community I'm a part of. I have a sports community I'm a part of. So my point here, find the other things in your life. When you're getting out of uniform, one of the challenges a lot of veterans face is they lose their sense of, of community and, and they lose their sense of purpose, right? The sooner you replace that military community with another one or several other ones, the healthier you're going to be. The sooner you replace that military sense of purpose with other senses of purpose, the healthier you're going to be. And the ones who don't, they start a downward spiral. This is yeah. 
Problematic transitions are the number one cause for veteran suicide. What you're suggesting here is that you looked at it as an opportunity and you took advantage of that, right? So that's number one. Number two, another great lesson learned here from both John and Sam is they took ownership of their transition. If you want to have a high success, low stress transition, you have to own the process. Now, you still ask for help. There's a ton of organizations out there that will help you that are designed to help you, that want to help you, but you have to own the process. You brought up another thing that I, I didn't make the connection with. Is the MSSA kind of like a skill bridge program opportunity? Is that actually what it is for transitioning service members? So I think uh, what you're asking is that the answer to that is yes. It, it's similar to boot camp for the military so that you're placed into a very condensed time frame training that is meant to bring you from not necessarily zero to hero, but at least some knowledge to a, an advanced level to be able to get into that position. In a lot of cases nowadays, a lot of the people that are part of the program are people who have had IT careers in the military. We've had people who were medics, but they did all the IT for their entire department kind of thing in the military. And you just have to be able to show the aptitude to get into the course that you're going to be able to actually learn and apply the information as you go through. But we've removed a lot of the pressure to pass the certifications during the course and things like that and that we had in the past, like when John went through. And so now it's really more focused on making sure that they get the knowledge, that they're able to do a project around it and actually apply the knowledge before they get out of the course. And then also getting the the professional development skills, learning what life and civilian life is like. Cool. Uh, because that's one of the things that the mentors really focus on talking to them about is what is a day in the life like in our jobs? And what is it like being in that employer? It's an opportunity. Once you hit the ground and you start really picking up speed and building momentum, then maybe that next position gives you a chance to be a little more selective on what you're looking for. And then you look for a company that really has a high military culture if you couldn't get that the first time through. I really encourage the veterans when they start looking at companies to, to find out about the military culture at that company and do some research. And if you're fortunate enough to land at one of those places, take the opportunity to engage and, and help out because that's how programs like MSSA happen and are able to help our, our veterans that are part of Microsoft and outside of Microsoft. So, so Sam, just for my own clarity, and again, for our audience, so when someone enters into, most folks enter from the military enter MSSA, are they yeah. still on active duty for the last three or six months of their time in service? And then they get out. And then, of course, if they've successfully navigated the MSSA program and have done yeah. well and everything, they have an opportunity then to hire on if, if a job is available with Microsoft. If not, hell, they've gotten they've at least they've gotten exposure to a, a private sector company and have learned some things about it. And now they, and, and possibly even have skills or not possibly have skill sets they can bring to another opportunity, but they're still on active duty for yeah. the period of time that they're, they're in MSSA, correct? Yeah, I Depends. think probably, I don't have the exact statistics on that, but I think it's probably a high 90% plus that are still on active duty. They're in the process of transitioning out. Gotcha. They uh, more than likely have their ETS date. They're starting the transition process. And so that's a very stressful time, as we all know, for the veterans. Yes. And so on, on top of transitioning, a lot of times now they're also taking on the additional burden of learning 
and trying to improve themselves during that transition. It's an investment of each individual that joins the program because they really are taking on additional load during a very stressful time in their life. But hope, <clears throat> hopefully, and, and as I've said, we have a high conversion rate. Hopefully that extra stress helps them find something that allows them to hit the ground running when they do make that transition, whether it be with Microsoft or another IT company. And, and occasionally we do have people who go through the program and they end up being veterinarians and things like that. But it's still a good opportunity for them because at a minimum, like John mentioned earlier, they get the professional development help too. And they get exposed to what a civilian company, like you mentioned, Howie, they get exposed to what is really life is like on the outside. How do you transition? What are performance evaluations going to be like in the civilian world compared to the military? You're not following a, a very regimented process anymore for how you get promoted. So how do you make that part of the transition? And so it, it's very much a, a bridge, like you mentioned earlier. So like for me, I didn't land with any of the hiring partners. I didn't land with Microsoft. I went and dug my own way using the network that I'd built by LinkedIn to land my job. And actually the person that hired me, like I said, was the president of the company. But the hiring partners are huge parts of the MSSA program because the ones that don't make it to Microsoft, they're open to over a thousand other companies that are willing and able and, and ready to hire not only veterans in IT, but just veterans in general, because they know what they get with a veteran as a general package. Everybody's different. Everybody's got their own story. So it, one size doesn't fit all. But generally, when you take a veteran and you put them in a job, you set them to task, they're going to thrive in that. They're going to take it and take ownership and they're going to do things above the standard mark that somebody that doesn't have that experience might not. They may put a little more effort into it or make it look a little nicer, whatever the case may be. And the hiring partners see that value in the veterans. And that's why they're there and they want that knowledge and just experience from all these different veterans because they understand and recognize that it brings value to their company. It brings diversity to their company. It brings that cohesive mindset of how do we accomplish things as a team? One of the things that Microsoft's core priorities is how do you help others in your job? How do you leverage other people's work or efforts to do better or make them better? So they're big on that collaboration piece. They're big on that communications piece and they're big on that teamwork piece. While you still stand alone and do your own job, it's it's all connected. And again, that's one of the things that that professional development side brings to the table that you can take anywhere, no matter where you end up. Which is actually very consistent with the way we operated in the military, John. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of those values that you just talked about at Microsoft are consistent with the way we operated in the military. It sounds to me too, that Microsoft is a very veteran friendly organization. Am I right about that, Sam and John? It sounds to me like it is. Go ahead, John. Take this one. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It is hands down. And then just the community within the community, like Sam was talking about with that military ERG. It's not just veterans. We meet every Friday. They have a coffee office hours type deal where veterans just jump on. And it could be anything from us venting, telling stories, sharing knowledge. I've jumped on a couple of times, told my story, shared the MSSA program, shared the suicide awareness of what my story is as it relates to that. And just broadening other people's knowledge, sharing the knowledge that I learned about VA disability and what it takes and how it's done and where there's different companies out there. You can pay a fortune or you can pay nothing or what it's the whole gamut of what's available. So that internal group, 
allows for a very candid, open space to be able to have conversations and get things done and not in a sense of a job of getting things done, but getting things done of educating other veterans on things that I've learned. Because if we're not doing our jobs as good humans, if we're not sharing our knowledge, you've always heard knowledge is power. Well, you, we've, I believe there should be a mind shift of I've got all the knowledge, so I have all the power. That's great if you're the lone person standing, but has anybody that listens to this ever been a lone person standing in, in the sense of getting anything accomplished? You always have somebody beside you, in front of you, behind you, holding you up, whatever the case may be. So if we can share that knowledge across, just like you're doing with this podcast, and grow as a group, and then that small group grows from there and shares that knowledge, we all become better right? We all become better people. And at the end of the day, I tell my kids a couple of things. Never tell yourself no, always make somebody else do it. And that applies across life. If I took, if I told myself no, when the opportunity came up to go to the army, because I didn't think I was good enough or didn't think I'd make it, I'd have never been there. I wouldn't be sitting where I am right now if I just took no as an answer whenever the time came to transition out and Microsoft said no, not yet. So there's that, right? And then the follow-on to that is don't ever just be a good human at the end of the day, right? Just doesn't matter race, creed, color, none of that. I think, and this is my personal opinion, the more that we highlight these things, it's not about the highlight anymore. It's not about promoting people's backgrounds and people's knowledge and things like that. It's becoming and forcing more of a divide than it should. If people would just break it down to the basic concept of be a good human, everything else falls in place. Hey, listen, what I'd like to do is is shift to, this has been a phenomenal episode, but I, I do want to get to our last question because I think this is, is really important. As you, both you guys know, Pivotal Moments Media seeks to strengthen mental fitness worldwide. That's our overall vision. And I will tell you from my personal experience, we all struggle with our own mental fitness at times to varying degrees. So if you're willing to share information about the struggles you've personally had or struggles you've seen others have, let us know what you've experienced with either yourself or your others and how you've managed those challenges and, and what you do to strengthen your own mental fitness. Absolutely. <clears throat> I can lead off, John. That's right. Yeah, mental health and fitness is really critical. And it's, it's something that I carry deep in my heart. And as much as I like to get back to the military, I also um, am very deeply invested <clears throat> in helping others with their mental uh, health and uh, fitness. My father, when I was nine, my father had uh, bipolar, manic depression, and paranoid schizophrenia. And at that point in time, in the late 70s, they really only had lithium for possible treatment. And that had as many side effects as it did benefits. And my dad was had what they called at the time a fatal combo. And it, it ultimately ended up with him taking his own life. And oh, I'm really um, sorry to hear that, Sam. Yeah, thanks, Holly. And so, you know, as a nine-year-old, I, I really didn't know how to process that. And so it took me years before I really actually was able to grieve and understand what happened and, and why it happened. And so that allowed me some healing. And not everybody gets that. And they go through a process where they've lost somebody, whether it's in war or they've lost somebody close to them to mental illness. And sometimes our bodies just don't know how to grieve. And having that early in my development really opened me up to being able to 
focus on helping other people and being a medic, for example, and doing mentoring through MSSA. And I'm actually giving a, an internal speech here at Microsoft in a couple of weeks on mental health for Mental Health Awareness Month. And I'll be talking about my story in, inside Microsoft as well to hopefully help other people. Personally, it, it was I probably had some depression when I got out of the military because of the suddenness that, it, that there was, but I really didn't recognize it at the time, even though I'd had that those earlier indicators in my life. And it, it took me until I was about 30 before I really recognized the impact that it was having on my life. And so then I finally sought treatment. A lot of people that don't have mental illness or mental health problems is they don't recognize what it actually takes to get that help that's necessary. And people make the statement of, oh, just go get on medication, you'll be fine. And it's not that easy. It took me gosh, at least I think five or six different medications before I could find an equilibrium. And in one of them worked really well for me, but I ended up putting on over hundred pounds of weight as a result of it. And it really messes with your brain chemistry and you, until you find the right one. And then if you're fortunate enough to find the right one, you're hopeful that it at least takes you to an even level or even above even level. I found finally found the right medication after years of trying but I can't, it basically keeps me very even keeled. It allows me to function on a daily basis. And it's something that I continually watch out for in my kids and in my brother, being that the history from my dad, it, it, it was something that we carried over genetically from my dad that we have to continually be watching out for. And then that doesn't even touch on the people that actually uh, end up with an issue because of what they've been exposed to in their lives and the diversity and the and upbringing that they've had or the work environment that they've had or the going to war and those kinds of things. So yeah, it's a critically uh, important issue and thank you for allowing us to talk about it. So I'll turn well, over to John. And, and John, listen, I wanna turn the mic over to you in a second, but first of all, I just wanna yeah. say, Sam, first of all, thank you for being so transparent, so honest, so candid and so open. I, I think it's incredible that you're, able to and willing to talk like that about some of the issues you have dealt with, are dealing with. And, and the fact of the matter is that when you recognize that something's not right and you're willing to talk about it and you're willing to ask for and seek help, to me, that's the ultimate sign of strength, not weakness. You are a courageous man and you are a strong man. And thank you for sharing your story with us, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. My father, like Sam's, was diagnosed later in life with bipolar and I want to say it's manic depressive. We don't have the best relationship. It's not a bad relationship. It's just more of a non-existence. So we've probably gone in the last 15 years, I could probably count on two hands how many times I've communicated with my father. And it's not for a lack of not wanting to. It's just the way he is. He'll go months, years, no contact, no not answered phone, not nothing. So you never know live or dead, good, bad, where he's at, anything like that. So every chance I get, I take advantage when he does reach out to still continue it and let him know that that door is still open. Because for me, it's, it's less about him and not about me. It's about my kids. I want my kids to, irregardless of how I grew up, I always want them to know their grandfathers good, bad, or indifferent, and let them make the decision 
of how they judge or how they interact or whatever. And I've allowed that as an open door this entire time. So fast forward uh, to me in my story, obviously that runs in my family. My brother um, has been diagnosed with a couple of different things. He's gone through the battle that Sam has with the medical medicine shift and swap trade and whatever you want to call it. It's no fun. And I can't imagine being in a Sam or my brother's position where you're that something's not quite right, but you can't get that medicine right to be right. If And I know that's not a great term, but just the battle to get there and want to feel normal, if you will. So I watched him with that. And I keep like Sam, I keep an eye on myself with respect to that. And I do have to worry about my kids inheriting that, that trait. But for me, when it comes to suicide and mental awareness, I don't remember, I think it was after my first appointment, me and my wife went out to a hometown festival. I was right in the middle of a bridge and I just lost it. Just completely shut down, sit on the side of this bridge and just cried uncontrollably. And what it was, the trigger was we were getting ready to go into a beer garden, a big tent, and it was just packed with people. And I just come back from Afghanistan for my first medevac deployment. And there's a lot going on. So that was the first kind of wake up sign for me to recognize, hey, there is other stuff going on that you got to pay attention to and, and have control over. Right. But as most of us know that have had any kind of mental break or, or episode or whatever you want to call it, it's not always in your control. You want it to be. You really want it to be. But it's just not. Fast forward again. The I don't remember if it was after my second or third point. I had really bad back issues. I'm now on shots for it, which helps, but a combination of being on pain meds, drinking, and then just severe depression and adding a fight when me and my wife are out camping with friends and fast forward through the story and I'm holding a gun to my head, uh, getting ready to pull the trigger. Mm. And the only reason I'm here today is because of my wife, because she stood there and ran at me, even though we were fighting and I can't even remember the whole scenario, but essentially she grabbed the gun for me and and kept me from pulling the trigger that night. And the friends that surrounded me, and when we talk about getting help, it's not professional help. That's not what's always needed. It may just be a voice to listen, like somebody to hear you whenever you're in that moment. And unfortunately for me, or fortunately for me, I have my wife, but I followed up the next day. And I called the 1-800-SUICIDE number that they tout. Oh, call this. It's great. The lady told me to go to Birmingham. I'm in a, I'm in a state where all I want is somebody to listen to me. And right. I get told, I, I can't do anything. Call Birmingham. Set up an appointment for three weeks from now. If anybody else is out there and has had that, I urge you to hang up the phone and call somebody. Don't let that be your stopping point. Don't let that be the point that steers you beyond where you can come back from if you're in that scenario. And that's why I'm saying it's not all about calling a professional. It's about reaching out and having your voice heard when you need it heard so that the others around you that love you can take care of you and and build you back up and help you get to back where you want to be. So when it comes to mental health and just interacting with people. I always try and keep that in the back of my head. What is their day? What have they gone through today or the last month that I don't know about? Is my smile going to make their day that much better? I sure as shit hope so at the end of the day. 
another piece of that is the so get my VA rating back not too long ago. I had reapplied and and when I got it back, you have mental issues, you have problems and things that you need to work on and and just get stronger with. But seeing the VA rating that came back where they showed 100% in doing the VA math was 100% physical disabled. And then there's a block that says PTSD and it was marked at 100%. And that's a kick in the teeth whenever you stop as a person and your sole goal in life is to ensure that your family is taken care of and successful and, and all these things that you see on a piece of paper that now legally says, you're not right. You're not healthy. You're not mentally stable. Whatever the cognitation that goes with PTSD, you go through all those whenever you see that on that paper. And what I want people to remember is it's just a piece of paper. It doesn't define you. It doesn't make you who you are. Like you said earlier, Howie, I'm a father. I'm a damn good one. I'm an okay husband. I do well by my family. And that's all you can hope to do in life. And hopefully anybody that's listening can get past the tears and hear what I'm saying. Embrace yourself. Be proud of yourself. Be proud of your service. Be proud of the people that you are and continue to do great things in life. I just can't thank you enough for being so open. And like I said, so transparent and so honest. And trust me when I say this is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. And if this right. helps one, just one person, then we've, guys, we've done our job here, man. And, and listen, I want you to know this too. You guys have my contact information. If you ever need anything, I don't give a shit what time of the day it is, what time of the night it is, what day of the week it is, you call me. You, I don't care if it's Thank three o'clock in the freaking morning. You on a Thank Sunday or a, I don't give a <laughs> shit. You call me. I love you guys. I care about you guys. I love what you're doing. I love what Microsoft is doing. And I thank you for being on this, being being with us today, and, and sharing all this incredible information. I really thank you so much. Thank you, Howie. Yeah, we, I really appreciate it. Feel the same way, and really love what uh, you and Pivotal Moments are doing with this podcast and the other outreach programs that you have and we're really honored to be part of this and hopefully make an impact on even just like one person, like you said. And I can't say it any better. Well, and same goes for you, Howie, and, and anybody else, all my mentees and anybody that I interact with never hesitate to reach out. And I don't care if that's just to say, Hey, or ask me for something. Once you're part of my network, then you're part of my network. Right. And as, as we know, in the military, you can go years without seeing anybody. And then when you, you realign an assignment or, or link up later in life, things just fall back in place. And I yeah. treat my network the same way, whether it's on LinkedIn or here. It's not about how often you communicate. It's about what is communicated when you are doing that communication. Build that bridge right there. Start that connection right there. Do your due diligence. Just figure out who you're trying to connect with and why. Make it a purposeful connection whenever you're building your network. And don't do it with the thought and mentality that you're doing it solely for benefits of you. It's not about you, but like we've all said before, if you burn those bridges and you don't put in the effort and you just have a hollow network, it does, you no good. So bring value to it. You That's guys great. are both a model of how to do it. And, and what a powerful message you're helping send today. You've been listening to life after the military, which is powered by Pivotal moments media. We hope that you receive value from our podcast. And if you did, please and subscribe to it. 
rate us on Apple Podcasts, share it with others, and help the word get out. You may learn more about our organization at pivotalmomentsmedia.com, and please take the time to check out our other channels that focus on overcoming adversity in sports, how inspirational women inspire other women, uh, how to build mental fitness in the workplace, how artists of all types overcome adversity and strengthen their mental fitness, and learn about our Mental Fitness Education Center for more inspirational, educational, and, and entertaining content. Thanks so much for joining us. And please make sure to keep an eye out for more episodes soon, wherever podcasts can be heard. And thanks so much for listening. And and we'll see you next time. Thanks, folks. 